Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Welcome to More Life. This is actually More Life. Um, If you don't listen to Drake, my religious people, you're not going to understand what I just said, but also my young ones, relationship-centered ones. Um, But yeah, I want to thank God for another week of quarantine service. This is week 20. I know that for sure. For sure, this is the first week I didn't stutter with what week we're going into. <laughs> but this is week 20. And I just want to thank God for the sustenance of wisdom that he's been giving me, the added on wisdom. Um, and I just want to thank you for your support, whoever is listening constantly. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you great peace. Give you great, great peace. Um, it's been an amazing run. Um, this is going to be our last service until October 3rd. So you probably won't hear a podcast till about October 6th, October 7th. Um, and yeah, until then, until we meet again, just God bless. Be safe. Be well. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. 20 seconds. Stay six feet apart. Just because you have faith don't mean you should have faith with ignorance and feel like you're, 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 you're not capable of catching this virus. Understand? We go out in faith, but we take the necessary precaution that we need to take in order to keep safe. You understand? Um, but yes, 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 yes. God is our rock, not mask. But mask is a way of protection that we need to take in order to keep ourselves safe. So mask up, wash your hands, stay safe, stay clean, and we go right into it. John twenty-one. John twenty-one. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it. And some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you once more. We lift up this word to you, O Lord God. We lift up your word to you. 
and pray that you may release an anointing upon our hearts, O Lord Jesus. Open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive that we may walk out with a fresh blessing, knowing that you are God and God alone. Lord, speak through me as well as to me, but before you, I even open up my lips with this message. Purify me of all unrighteousness, O God Jesus, and bless the receiver, O Lord God. We lift this up to you. We glorify you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Ooh. So we've been talking about Jesus in boats for like probably the past three weeks. So you could say this is week four of um Jesus in boats. Boat Jesus series. I don't know if you want to call it. We went over Mark 4. Um, Mark 5, Luke 5. Um, and this week is sort of a part two to the sermon that was preached two weeks ago. Um, the message of two weeks ago. Where we preached on Luke 5 and how Jesus called his first disciples and he went on their boat. And I guess you could call this a, a, a mini-series. And we took a break. I was supposed to preach John 21 um, last week. But, you know, the Spirit said Mark 5, and we did Mark 5, which was a part 2 to Mark 4. So there's, this is just a whole bunch of mix-up series, basically. Um, but, yeah, this week is John 21, 1 through 14, and just a context of what's going on. I just want you to remember that in Luke 5, Jesus calls his first disciples in the, at the same sea, the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, Jesus is appearing to them at the same place again, and... um. He's appearing to them in a, at an old place, but in a new season. Because a lot of times we will find ourselves at an old place in a new season. And it's God testing to see if we actually learn the lesson from the first. So it's the same Savior, same seed, different season. But what's the difference? What's the difference between Luke 5 and John 21 in this season? Um, The first time they fished because they didn't know him. The second time they fished because... The man they knew did not do what they knew him to do, and that's to show up. So because he didn't show up, they doubted if he will ever show up and walk back to the very place that he called them from, the very place he gave them purpose at. Um, and this for the disciples is like a little review test. You know, sometimes God would encounter you in the same place you were before to see if you have advanced from where you were before. And this is the part where we say, and they say, the disciples, and you're going to see through the story that we're just like the disciples, and how God takes failures and mess-ups and just uses it for his glory either way, just show us his love. And this is the part where they say, well, God, I've been through this already. Like, come on, bro. I'm past this level. I'm past this level. Why am I going through this again? I'm past this level. I went through this in a former season. There's no need for me to go through this again. I'm past Excuse me. <laughs> I'm past this level. And God is like, oh, really? Let's see then. Let's see if you're really past this level. And um, in verse 3, as we see, Jesus doesn't show up. And when he doesn't show, like every human, their faith wavers. And, and they go back. And this is where I want to speak to you from today. Um, Verse 3. All the disciples together and Simon Peter. The rock, the head leader, said, I'm going out to fish. And that is my sermon title for today. That is the sermon title for today. 
my hour. I'm sorry. Um, that is our title for today. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing, or I'm going out to fish. So, when you think about them going back to fish, you remember what they were before in Luke 5. They were fishermen. And God said, I'm going to make you fisher of men. So, them going back to fish is going back to the same place that God called them out of. They go back. They go back. And they go back because they don't see Jesus. And Jesus doesn't show up. So, it doesn't seem like he's with them. So, they go back. And they go back. And verse 2 is key because verse 2 names all the disciples. There's about, I believe, seven of them. Um, I believe there's seven of them. Let's make sure. I don't want to. It says it happened this way. Simon Peter, one. Thomas, two. Nathaniel, three. Sons of Zebedee, that's two. Five. And two other disciples. So there are seven of them. Seven, the number of completion. And it's a whole bunch of them. So it's a whole bunch of hopelessness in one area because they all choose to go back with Peter. It's a whole bunch of doubt in one area. It's a whole bunch of lack of faith. It's a whole bunch of lack of peace. It's a whole bunch of, I wish Jesus could appear, but he's not appearing. So let me go back to the satisfaction that, you know, that didn't come from him, but, you know, it fulfilled me in a way in my previous life because he doesn't show up. And look how I know it's a whole bunch of hopelessness because in verse three, this is going to prove key. Peter says, I'm going out to fish, and they respond, and they say, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. So they're all in this area, of uh, array of despair, and they're saying they all listen to Peter. Simon Peter said, I'm going out to fish, and then the rest follow. Doesn't that show you something? They looked up to Peter, and his words held weight, because that is the rock. That is the church. That's the alpha dog of the pack. That is a man who cut off an ear for G- for. For someone who's going against Jesus, his words hold weight. Your words hold weight. And you don't know who's looking up to you and how they're looking up to you. And in the sense of you going back, they will go back too because you are their influence. Because they see the Christ in you and say, oh, come. How come this person could go back and have such a great relationship? So they go back too and they become even more despaired. Because no one would dare, dare tell Peter what to do. Talk about I'm going back. And the rest followed. And when everyone else is going fishing, when everyone else is going back, what do you do? What do you do? Do you go back with them or do you wait on your Lord? And you remember in Luke 5, they dropped everything and now fisher and and, and, and they were now fisher of men. And now in John 21, they're neglecting what they are called to be and go back to where they were called out of. And imagine that walk that they took to the sea. Imagine that walk back. Imagine the enemy's voice just within their head saying, just keep walking back. Jesus ain't coming. Jesus ain't real. Jesus ain't going to love you. Jesus is not with you. Just imagine that walk back to the sea. And there's still no Jesus. There's still no Jesus that appears them on their way back to the sea. You see, he's all knowing and he sees them going back. What type of God is that? Sees his own children going back and don't even meet them doesn't even meet them on their way back. It's funny because he met the two Emmaus men on their way back to Emmaus, but his disciples, 
It's like he's allowing them to go back to show them something greater. What if you're not going back in vain? What if you think you're going back in pain, but God has purposed your pain for a greater good? What if you're not going back just to go back? What if God is already in? See that later. So what was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing? That is the question of the hour. What was Jesus doing? Let's continue focusing on the disciples because they're going back to the same place that sustained them before they dropped their nets. Going back to the same place before they met Christ. And how many of us go back to our old ways because we see no hope in going forward? Because there comes times when it seems like waiting on Jesus seems drawn out. And it's easy if I just go get fulfilled somewhere else. We go back to find peace in a place that can only sustain us temporarily. Go back to that place that keeps us high for two seconds. That impurity that gives us a release for five minutes. We go back to find peace in a place that is unlike Christ. And let me tell you from now that any source of peace that you get that is not from Christ, it will never satisfy you completely. Because as Christ said, the peace of mind and heart that I give, this world cannot give. But it's so much easier to go to the world because it's what we see than go to Christ who we can't see. But we have to believe and know that he is there no matter what. He is with us no matter what. For we are his temple and in us he dwells. But it could be easier so to drift to the world when everything seems like it's not going away. When it seems like God is not showing up. In your life, and the thing that I've learned with God showing up, thank you, Lord, for fresh revelation. A lot of us define God showing up as seeing a, a result. You understand? As seeing a result. But God showing up is not seeing a result. God showing up is knowing that He's with you no matter the result. God showing up is knowing the result that he is for you and not against you. You see, we want to see the better, but we have to realize that once we have him, we are the better. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for that fresh revelation. I really hope that makes sense. But um, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing, which means he was tired. He was tired of not seeing Jesus. He was tired of not getting that fulfillment. He was tired of waiting. And a lot of us in a lot of areas in our life right now are tired of waiting. Tired of waiting for this virus to be done. Tired of waiting for social injustice justice to be given. Tired, tired, tired of everything that's going on in this world. And we're waiting on God to show up. And it's like, God, one of these days, I'm going to just give in. I'm going to just go fishing. I'm going to just go back because it seems like if I just go back, maybe I could just get a relief from all the pressure of this world is carrying for. And maybe a lot of us right now are in the state of going fishing. But for those who are in the state of not of, of thinking about going back, of thinking about going fishing, I urge you to wait on the Lord because those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah says, he will renew their strength. You know, understand he will make you walk and not grow weary, run and not faint to be running out faint and walking, not grow weary. You know, wait on the Lord. 
He would renew your strength and mount you up like the wings of the eagles. This past week, I was um, at one of my um, launch revivals, and the, and, the, and the sermon preached was flying like an eagle, and how an eagle soars high and, and looks down low, and, and you have the birds that try to attack the eagle, but the, 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 the enemy of the eagle cannot even reach the eagle's heights, and the, and the eagle sees when he, the enemy is devoured by the, by, the, by, by the altitude at which the eagle flies, because the enemy cannot fly at the eagle's heights, and the power of the eagle to fly and soar and rule the sky, and now the eagle is fearless. And I want you to know that the word says that those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength and mount them up like eagles, which means that you will be fearless and bold, and you will take care of your young, and you will have to worry about the enemy reaching you or getting to you or bringing you down, because the only thing that could bring the eagle down to the level of this of his enemy bird is himself. And the eagle does that with the mindset, oh, maybe he's getting closer and closer. But maybe the closer the enemy seems to the eagle is actually more the enemy is at the level of his defeat because he cannot reach the eagle itself. Think about if the eagle flies at high altitude and the enemy bird comes up to the eagle's altitude, it's actually killing itself more than reaching closer to the eagle. Though it may seem like it's close to the eagle, that does not mean that it's not, does not mean that it's it's going to catch it because it can't fly at the eagle's altitude. I want you to know that the enemy cannot fly at your altitude because when you wait on the Lord, he shall renew your strength. It's not you, it's the Lord. It's not you, it's the Lord. I'm going fishing. Peter was discouraged, depressed, or in a state of depression. The feeling of the absence of Jesus was killing him. But the best part of the story, or one of the best part, is that Peter, Peter didn't go back by himself. The disciples said, I'll go with you. We'll go with you. Because you see, anytime we go back, God is making us know that you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. You're not in your struggles alone. You're not the only one feeling hopeless. But when you come together and realize that you're all hopeless, that's not a time for you to go back, but to come together in prayer. Pray for boldness and keep moving forward. And I think Peter had to go back in order to learn this. And 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 here's proof, the word. First Peter 5, he talks about how there's a family of believers around the world going through the same thing as you are. But if you wait on the Lord for a little bit, God will restore you, strengthen you, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. You understand? I think Peter, because a lot of times most of our lessons in life comes from going back. And Peter had to go back in order to realize and pray when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them in Acts to pray for boldness to move forward because he realized where the attacks were coming upon him and the attacks of life could bring such a hopelessness and despair that would bring us down. So Peter learned from this. And instead of going back in Acts, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and there were people going against him, he prayed for boldness. But in John 21, he didn't pray for boldness, but he went back to his old ways. He went back to his old ways. He 
is tired. He went back to his old ways. And the disciples said, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. You're not in this alone. You're not the only one going back. You're not the only one back. You're not the only one thinking about going back. Heck, I'm thinking about it too. We all do. We all think about going back to the place where God called us from because because we're such in despair and we're wondering if that's the that's the only way to get a sense of relief. We all do. That's why it's a daily walk with Jesus in which we have to say, God, take over my desires. Lord, take over my walk with you. Lord, be the epicenter of my faith because we could all fall short of the glory of God. I fall every day, but it's about getting back up knowing that his grace is sufficient enough. His grace is all we need. So I said, we'll go with you. And the, you know, the Bible reads you as you read it because he says, I'm going out. Before he even says fishing, he says, I'm going out. And a lot of us find ourselves in this position, going out. Can't take it anymore. And keep in mind, Peter is, is, is getting back into a boat that that he was supposed to be done with. And remember in Luke 5, his first encounter with Christ, he was feeble in faith, but you expect him this time to be matured, strong, courageous in faith. Sorry, I don't want to say he was feeble in faith because he had enough faith to go out when Jesus said to go out because when you experience Jesus for the first time, when you're experiencing that new, that's why you always have to ask God to take you back to that first encounter because that's when you have such a trust that no matter what you say, I'm going to go out. But if you notice, is as we become more quote-unquote mature, it's as we become more deeper in faith that this fire starts to dim within us. This this, this trust starts to dim within us because we get comfortable and think that we're the ones stepping out on our own will and not Christ's strength pushing us out. So, so, so it gets harder when we think that we're in this alone because we thought that we accomplished stuff alone. So in the sense... I have my notes here that I put you as feeble in faith, but he was actually strong in faith in the beginning, yet still weak in it because he didn't fully know Christ. But this time he is matured, strong, courageous, knows Christ, cut off a man's ear for Christ. Yet even Peter says, let's go back. And that's why we need not to judge because no matter how somebody may look or seem or walk or smile, Everybody is going through something. And it's our job as believers, as Christians, to not condemn, but show them a love they never experienced before, to let them know that it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Even those who think are high in faith, even myself, I get discouraged. I get discouraged, don't want to continue. And you might hear me speak, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the thorns in my flesh that I deal with. And the reality is is that we all deal with it, and that's why we need one another, especially now more than ever in this crazy time period. We need one another to encourage one another. The body says that we are a body of Christ here to help one another. I believe it is Hebrews that says, let every day called today be one in which you encourage one another so you don't get you, you don't get um trapped into sin's deceit. You know, it's important that we that we're in this for one another. But it could be so easy to get caught up in our despairs together that we go back together realizing 
that the same place that we're moving from Jerusalem is the same place that God promised to meet us in. But he doesn't meet us in our timing, so we go back. We go back, and Peter was hurting, and some of us right now are hurting. We're hurting, we're hurting. And you see, in Luke 5, Jesus calls his first disciples. But in John 21, he loses his first disciples. Not in the sense that he loses them, but as in they choose to move on. And a lot of times, and I have to realize this for myself, you know, the disciples are moving forward. So, you know, let's get out of Jerusalem. But while they're moving forward, they're moving back. And a testimony in my life was a couple months ago, um, I heard the Lord speak to me, Josh, if you keep moving forward, then you're going to keep going back, but you have to go back to move forward. You have to go back to move forward. You have to go back to, 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 my, to my first love. You got to go back to experience, do the things that you used to do before. Watch the frequent sermons that you used to do before to, to get back that joy in order to move forward. Because a lot of times we have to go back to the basics. And what if Peter in this moment He's moving forward, but he's actually going back because he decided not to go back in order to move forward. What if Peter in this moment just said, you know what, hold on. Let me remember all the other times that Jesus showed up in my life. Let me remember all the other times that Jesus made promises in my life. Let me remember the time when he says, don't, 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 don't worry, for I have overcome the world. Let me remember the time that he that that he healed my relative. Let me remember that time that he showed up when I needed him to show up. And he showed up for others when they needed him to show up. Let me remember that time. But it could be so easy so easy to move forward while going back because you refuse to reflect on where you're coming from. Or where he, Jesus Christ, has brought you from. Or what he has simply done. And those who should have an increased faith in John 21 actually have an increased sight because they don't see Jesus, because they don't feel Jesus. <laughs> they don't feel Jesus. And a lot of times we don't feel him. But that's when we don't step out on feelings, but we step out on faith. Because you see, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a, is a fact. Joy is reality. Joy is truth. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Joy is Christ. And Christ is with us and within us. Joy is a reality. Those who should have an increased faith have an increased sight. And look at verse 3. The verse 3 says that. Verse 3, verse 3. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They got into the boat. They went back. Remember in Luke 5, we talked about the boat being the foundation that they used to trot on. So they go back to the foundation they used to trot on. They 
They go out on their own strength. And just like in Luke 5, when doing things without Christ, they catch nothing. They catch nothing. See, the thing they go back to catch or the satisfaction they wish to receive, they do not catch. And they're not only they're not only tired from fishing all night, but now they feel unseen, Jesus not being there, and like a waste because they catch caught nothing. And every time we say we're going out to fish, this is what happens. We get in the boat. Like, ooh, this feels good. We go into the action, into the process of doing the very thing that we go back for and realize that we caught nothing from it. So now you just wasted your time. And we all fall short in this. We all go out to fish and produce no fish. The Bible says the whole, they caught nothing all night. And you could just imagine the voice of the enemy saying, just keep fishing. Just keep fishing. You know, just keep fishing. Keep fishing on this side. Keep fishing on this side. Imagine them searching and searching for peace from another source other than Christ. And a lot of times we find ourselves doing this. You can never find the peace that you desire unless it comes from Christ alone. And I just want us to imagine ourselves in Peter's shoes right now. Because, you see, he has faith in the seed to produce and no faith in a Savior to show up. But God is saying, Peter, don't you know? Don't you know? Peter, Peter. Peter knew Jesus, but so easy to give up. And the person that you hope to show up doesn't show up or it doesn't seem like He's showing up. Take some water. Excuse the um the swallowing of the water. And in reality, all Peter is really trying to do is relief that burden that he feels. The burden that we feel right now, all we try to do is we, we try to go to other sources of positivity. You know, CNN. <laughs> um Whatever it may be, that burden, it's just that burden that we want to relieve. And it carries so much weight that we feel like going back, maybe I could put it on the same boat that I used to try it on. And that raises the question, how do we handle our burdens? Because my Bible says, oh, how ironic. Peter says, same Peter. Who decides to cast his cares on a boat? Says, cast your cares on God, for he cares for you. You see, Peter had to go through this to realize that. A lot of times you have to go through a season of going back to realize and to receive fresh revelation. Imagine yourself in Peter's shoes. Three years ago, you know, Luke 5, Jesus is starting his ministry. And three years later, John 21, it's post-resurrection. Three years later, and they find themselves in the same disappointment. It's like a it's like a cycle right back around to where they started. And in Luke 5 and John 21, they knew Christ for what he did. 
but for God who he is, and this is where we stand in life. But let me remind you who he is. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the true grapevine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am living water. I am. I am. I think we got to remember his I am and whatever he is, that means we have access to him. We have access to peace. But you see, there's steps to this thing. There's steps to this thing. You got to pray. You got to, the Bible says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. You see, prayer is a constant conversation. And you could just imagine the, mm. thank you, Jesus. You could just imagine Peter walking back in silence because the enemy will often keep us silent in our despair. Because he knows the power and life and death lies in your tongue. And God is saying, open up your mouth right now and have a conversation with me. The reason why you're going back, think about it. How silent are you in your struggle? And God is saying, I don't want you to be silent. I want you to speak. It's time for you to learn how to speak because the enemy will keep feeding thoughts in your head while you stay silent. But once you open up your mouth and declare the word of God over the enemy's voice, over the enemy's voice going in your head and declare that I shall be silent no more, but I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, then reality starts to kick in. Joy starts to kick in. Peace starts to kick in because you know that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And you see, verse 4, verse 4 really shows who Jesus is, really shows that joy is a reality. You see, because it's always important that you cross-check with the Bible. Verse 4 says this, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Early in the what? Early in the morning. So they were fishing in despair all night. But if joy is Christ, that means joy came in the morning. That means joy comes in the morning. And if I take you to Lamentations, let me just open up. Let me open up. Where is it? 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 Lamentations, 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 Lamentations. I want to find the book. 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 Lamentations 3. Verse 22 to 35. You don't want me to take you there. You don't want the reality, the living reality of joy. Joy is Christ, right? Joy is reality, right? And all this despair, and all this despair, and all of Jeremiah's despair, through all the wrath and all the pain that he's feeling in the in the land that he's living in. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. There's no coincidence that Jesus shows up in the morning. Because joy cometh in the morning. New mercies we see every morning. Jesus stood on the shore. But let me tell you something about new mercies. Let me tell you something about new mercies. We see it every morning because that's when we wake up. But it's the same mercy that carries us through the night. It's the same mercy that kept them through the dark seas. It's the same mercies that didn't allow them to drown in their despair. 
It's the same mercy that didn't allow their boat to turn over. It's the same mercy that saw them the whole night. Jesus was there standing on the shore in the morning. That means he was there the whole night, but they could not see him. What if he sees you? But you know you can't see him, but he sees you. And these new mercies. You ever? Ever wake up in the morning? I don't feel these new mercies. I don't feel the joy. Don't feel the hope to get out of bed. Don't feel the motivation. They didn't even recognize him. They didn't recognize him. Why? Because anytime we go back to where he brought us from, we never recognize the one who brought us through. Because we're so busy finding a replacement for him. They're so focused on the fish that they miss out on the very man they thought left them the whole time. But he was right there. Verse 4 also shows a great grace. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Because he met them. Here's here's what I want you to get from this message. He met them in the place they went back to. And that is what grace is. And even when we go back, he goes back with us. He's there before we even go back. Because he knows we're going to go back. Because we know he knows we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But that's the power of his grace to show that my love is greater. My love is powerful. My love is all holy. My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient enough for you. Look at that. We don't even recognize that Jesus in front of us because of the burden beating us. But he's saying, I'm right here in front of you. I'm right here within you. I'm all around you. My presence is not is, is not whether you go through circumstances or not. My presence is right there with you no matter what. And even when we find ourselves back where we started, he meets us there because, you know, he cares for those who trust in him. He is a refuge in the time of trouble. He says to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God is with you. He says, for I am your God. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be discouraged. I will, I will strengthen you with my victorious right hand. He tells us to call to him and he will answer us and tell us great unsearchable things that we do not know. But that all takes opening up our mouth. Remember the silence? I should have called it silent treatment. Remember we did silent season the other day? Silent treatment because we often give God our silence and infuse everything in our thoughts, forgetting that he knows our thoughts. I'm going to bring you to um, Psalms 39. He knows our thoughts. You know, and a lot of times we like to hold our thoughts in and walk back forgetting that he knows our very thoughts. You know? He knows us from the highest of our, from the highest mountain to the lowest valley. He knows us. And he's saying, if you could just open, 
open open your mouth and, you, and David says in the psalmist how how precious to me are your thoughts oh God how vast is the sum of them were I to count them they would outnumber the grays of sand when I'm awake when I awake I am still with you understand he he, he knows your thoughts he says you created me in my innermost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He knows you. So why be silent acting like he doesn't know you or see you? Then rather speak it on to him because he's the one who died for you. It's time to tell yourself that I'm not going fishing. No more fishing. In verse 5, it says that he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? And 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 there's so much meaning around Jesus asking him this because. He said he knew that they didn't recognize him. He said, you know what? All right. They don't recognize me, but I'm I'm, I'm going to show them that I'm with them. Because God, sooner or later, he's going to show you that he's with you. You might not recognize him right now, but he's going to show you that he's with you. And Jesus thinks he's slick. He said, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Friends, haven't you? First of all, he calls them friends, which means they should have known it was him right away. Because who is friends with someone who is hopeless? Who is friends with someone who is in despair? Who is friends with someone that is going back in the life that they got called from? Who is friends? Hallelujah. They should have known right away because there was only a few chapters early, I believe, in John 15, where he says, listen, a master don't tell his servant his business, so I no longer call you that. I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friend. I call you friend. You know why? You know why Jesus didn't let them catch any fish. You know why they couldn't caught, catch fish by themselves. Without him, because not that's not what their purpose was. That's not what their purpose was. And anytime we go outside our lane and bear no fruit, ask yourself, is this my purpose? Is this what I'm called to do? He said, homies, where the fish at? Knowing they caught nothing. I feel like sometimes God is laughing like, yo, little do my children know how much I have in store for them. Basically says, have you caught the thing you're searching for? Have you caught peace? Have you caught joy? The disciples answer, no. No. Have you caught joy? No. You don't have to catch something that's already been given to you. The punishment it gave us peace. It's placed on him. Isaiah 53 verse 5. 
And he asked them this so they could look within themselves. Max, and what do I need to do? More than that, who do I need to do? What needs to be done this time? What do I need to do to catch more fish? Before we even continue into that, I want to dive into how Jesus appears unrecognizable. Because if he appeared in natural form, they would be like, oh, hey, good to see you. You're going to do the same thing, make promises, and leave us again. So he appears in a form that is unrecognizable because at OD times, God will show up in ways that we don't expect, in areas we wouldn't think, and in forms we don't recognize to show that I don't move like you. My ways aren't like your ways. My thoughts aren't like your thoughts. And if I show up the normal way, then you'll get comfortable with it. How I show up. You got to show up in ways you don't expect. In verse 6, Jesus proposes something that most of us are afraid to do. Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Jesus proposes a new way. Another way. They've been fishing all night. And look how Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you didn't catch no fish because blah, 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 blah. He simply gives them a suggestion. And the fish that they're waiting to catch is already on the other side, but they just have to turn their nets. And Jesus don't blame them because he knows who we are, but he blesses them because he knows who we are. Imagine that. He blesses us because he knows who we are. He knows we're evil people, but doesn't want us to live under the slave master of sin. Because grace is now our master. It's in the process that you wake up and reflect. And he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They were fishing the wrong way the whole time. No wonder why they couldn't catch the fish they desired. No wonder we can't catch the peace that we desire. No wonder we can't be awakened to the joy that we already have access to because we're trying to catch a fish that we already have access to, especially on the wrong side. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And first I was like, oh, they're fishing on the left side, so they're out of position. A lot of times you can fish out of position, which could be true. But what if we need to actually turn our nets on the right side? On the right side, on the Christ side, on his side. On the right side, maybe we're fishing on the wrong side. Simply, what if we need to stop complaining and try something new? Because anytime Jesus shows up, he's going to tell you to do something opposite that was not working before. Imagine once more Peter and his boys fishing all night. Fishing all night. You know why Jesus shows up in the morning? Because that's when they realize that they can't do nothing to heal the situation. They've been fishing all night and they realize they can't do... They, 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 us can't do nothing to make the situation better. So they have no more choices but to choose and hear and respond to the voice of a stranger. And look at that. Imagine that one voice. Imagine the amount of voices they heard on their walk back. They're trying to they're trying to distinguish God's voice from the enemy's voice. They're trying to they're trying to they're, they're trying to not listen to the enemy, but the enemy keeps coming in his ears. And you can just imagine even the the enemy's voice on the boat saying, you know, no, 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 don't go to the other side. Don't go to the other side. Just stay on this side. Keep fishing, keep fishing, just keep fishing, fishing, 
But that one voice, all it took was Jesus' one voice. Because what if a lot of times, and a lot of us right now, even myself, have have trouble just hearing all these voices and they're wondering which one are God, but then that one voice that speaks that is we probably don't even recognize it because we don't even haven't heard it in a long time. They don't even recognize the voice of Jesus. But that one voice that says, try something new, that one unorthodox voice, that voice they haven't heard clearly all night, shows up clearly in the morning and says, turn your nets on the right side. Maybe that one voice. And so, and what I forgot is that the enemy will speak to you and speak to you and speak to you. But as soon as Jesus Christ says, let me speak a word into your life, you hear that voice so clearly. And a lot of us right now are struggling to distinguish which voices to follow. And I pray over your life that Jesus just speaks one. Once and you hear it clearly. You know it's him. Jesus says, turn and you will find some. God, I want some peace, please. Well, look at what he gives them. The Bible says, when they did, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. When they put in the work. Why? Because it's going to take you putting in the work in order to get the blessings, in order to receive it. They say, it's there. It's there. It's already on the right side of the boat. You just got to turn your nets over. And I don't know who needs to turn their nets today, but turn your nets over. It's going to take some work because the process of turning your nets over is not, it's not one, two, three. But imagine if some of us could just turn our nets today, go to the Jesus way today. Go to the right side of our boats. And look, he says, turn and you will catch some. His some is in abundance because they couldn't even haul the net in. Imagine, he says he wants to pour all the windows of blessing. Well, we want the surplus of blessing while keeping self. And he says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to need you to die to self. I'm going to need you to die to self. Because if Peter and his disciples didn't die to self and remain stubborn, and they wouldn't have received. They wouldn't have received what Jesus had in store for them. And look, dying to self takes work, turning your nets. Meaning you have to surrender your way for his. Meaning you have to give up fishing on the wrong side, going on the right side. But oftentimes Jesus ain't going to seem like he's there. And that's how I see this right now. It doesn't seem like he's with us right now in this world of all going on. But oftentimes he will make himself seem distant or unrecognizable. So we could get so tired of our own ways, tired of the suffering. So when he shows up, we have no other choice but to follow him because he is the only thing that could offer us something better. But let's rewind before all the fish. Let's rewind before the boat. Let's go back. Let's go back. 
Not even the enemy saying, don't wait on God. He ain't going to come. And Peter listens. Because the thought you take action on. Besides, so you follow. Peter listens and the, and he listens to the enemy. Go back, go back, go back. And the enemy thinks he got him. <laughs> the enemy's plan seemed to be prospering, but it's funny how God met Peter on his way back. Sorry, God was already where Peter and the disciples are going back to. Meaning God's purpose saw the enemy's plan and said, no, 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 no. What you meant for evil, I mean for good. Jesus shows up in the morning. Jesus shows up. What the enemy meant for them to go back and drown in. God is saying, uh-uh. I ain't going to make you drown. Though you may stumble, I will not let you fall. It's biblical. But you got to know the voice in, in, of Christ in those moments. And I'm going to show you what Peter failed to realize the whole time soon. But look at it. Satan's voice came in the form of sight. See, no, Jesus, go back. Jesus came. Jesus's voice came in the form of faith through being unrecognizable. And imagine the enemy in the night saying, stay on this side, stay on the failing side. But there was something about this stranger's voice that wasn't normal and said one thing. Turn your nets. But here's the catch. Jesus doesn't turn the nets for the disciples. They had to. See, because maybe the very move you're asking God to make is done, but because you don't move, you do not experience his move. And as soon as they catch the nets in verse, all the nets in verse 6, verse 7 says, Then Pete, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. It is the Lord. See, because John remembered Luke 5. Something clicked within John and said, Hold on. Jesus didn't even say it was him. He knew it was the Lord as soon as he saw the result. Because he knew this happened before. He knew this happened before. And there's going to come a point in your in, in, in the season that you go through. You get the same result as three years ago. You win. You catch the thing you desire. But you realize, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Last time I did this, it was God who showed up. Maybe this time it's God again. You see, John remembered Luke 5. Someone strange like this man did this before. John recognized Jesus, and Peter reacted to it being Jesus. Peter, Simon Peter heard him. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Peter was either, was really, really eager to find Jesus. But look at, look at something with Peter. Bible says he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. A man put on his Gucci coat and went swimming like Michael Phelps to go catch Jesus. But I want to show you something because he, he, he took off his outer garment. Just imagine him either taking it off on the boat or while walking back. He took off his outer garment. And, you know, an outer garment is like a coat used to protect you from the attacks of the cold. Reaching the inside. You understand? So it's a use of protection. And I don't I, I want you to come out of the physical realm right now. I'm going to the spiritual. The armor of Christ, we need to be careful not to take off our outer garment, but to leave on our outer garment. Because what if Peter decided to leave on his outer garment in the midst of getting the enemy's voice trying to step, trap him in going back? What if he kept on his outer garment? 
before going back. And I feel like he had taken it off, you know, in the middle of making the decision. Because that's what we do. Because once we take off our outer garment, we go back. And God is saying, keep on your armor. Keep on your helmet of salvation. Keep on your breastplate of righteousness. Keep on your sword of spirit. Keep on the shield of faith. Keep on your shoes of peace. So you'll be ready to battle against the enemy. Take off your outer garment. And I know he took it off because the Bible said he had to put it on. And he put it on in returning to Jesus. God is saying, I want you to put it on like you're fighting with Jesus because you are. I want to put I want you to keep it on there. And that's the that, that's the tough part to keep it on. Because everything else is saying take it off. And now when you take it off, your inside is vulnerable. I want you I want you to think about your heart. Your heart, your decisions are vulnerable. Maybe if he kept it on, he wouldn't have gone back in the first place. So whoever is thinking about going back right now, I pray that armor of Christ may so equip you that you realize that going back is not working. Verse 8 says, well, the disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from ashore, which means not far from ashore, about 100 yards. About a football field, I guess that's not far for fishermen, but that's far for me to run. I'm not running 100 yards. But um, they got an abundance of fish in shallow water. Luke 5 versus John 21, because remember in Luke 5, they were in shallow water, and Jesus has to go out deeper because they couldn't catch an abundance of fish in shallow water then, but they could catch an abundance of fish in shallow water now. So they, in Luke 5, they caught an abundance of fish in deeper water with Jesus on the boat. And in John 21, they caught an abundance of fish without Jesus on the boat physically, but yet still caught an abundance in shallow water. How come they could catch an abundance in shallow in John 21 and not Luke 5? And that's the question that we're going to answer in a second when we come back from commercial. No, let me stop. Verse 8, 100 yards was so close, and they were so close yet didn't re- Think about it. If they were so close, right? They're, they weren't far from shore when all this happened. They were so close to Jesus yet didn't recognize because they're so focused on the wrong thing. <laughs> we're closer to him than we think. We just got to focus. The Bible says that. The, um, he wrapped up his outer garment, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not from ashore, far from ashore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. So Peter went to shore. The disciples followed, and they reached shore. And verse 10, verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Meaning they left all the fish at the seashore, um, at the seashore um, thingy. Or the, you know what I mean, at the edge. The edge, the water's edge. Remember where the boat was in Luke 5? Hmm. Hmm. Holy Spirit reveal new wisdom to me. Because this is fresh. Remember where the... Oh, Holy Spirit, I depend on you right now. Please just, just give me new wisdom on, on the water's edge. 
Luke 5, Jesus met them at the water's edge, went into their boat at the water's edge, and now in John 21, he wants what's at their water's edge or within their water's edge, meaning the fish that they burdened through all night, he wanted their very burdens. So he had something on the fire prepared, but before he gave them, he said, give me, go get some of your fish. Go get some of your fish. So he tells them to go get some of their fish. And Peter left first, left the boat first, and went back in the boat first at the command of the Lord. Either he really loves the Lord or he's really hungry, but he went on the boat, took off the fish to bring it to them. Meaning that Jesus, follow me, it was more inland. It was more inland than the water's edge. Yet he still wanted the very thing on their water's edge, the fish in their boat. Meaning where they landed and where Jesus was, there's two different places. Meaning where they sat down their burden, where they sat down their disappointment, where they sat down what Jesus turned into a blessing, where they sat down what they caught, where they sat down their guilt, was far from Jesus in the sense that they weren't in the same spot, but on the same shore. And God is saying, I don't just want you. I want your burdens and your guilt. I want your burdens and your guilt. There's no point in keeping it far from me when I want it in exchange for the very thing that I've prepared for you already. So where guilt lied and where hope lied was on the same shore. But a lot of times we don't want to bring our guilt to Jesus. Because we don't feel like his grace is sufficient enough. But he says in his word in Hebrews that we could come boldly to the throne of grace. Because God doesn't give grudge, he gives grace. So Jesus was more inland, meaning the place at which hope rested was farther than the place at which the burden was farther than the place at which the burden came from. For your sake, what does this mean? So you can know that the very thing you chase, he has. But also to know that when you bring it to him, you no longer have to chase it because look. Verse 9, when they landed, they saw fire burning coals, they were fishing on it, and some bread. He already prepared the very thing that they were chasing for all night. Peace is reality. Joy is reality. It's already there. But he's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. Bring some of the fish you caught. After they brought the fish, then they got the breakfast. God is saying, I want to do an exchange with you. Your burdens, my breakfast. I don't I don't want you to just leave your burdens over there so you can look back and see your burdens and feel guilt. I, I, I want to deal with your guilt. Sorry, I have dealt with your guilt on the cross. It's a gospel story. Once again, all these boat stories are a gospel story. He already dealt the guilt already dealt with the things that we're searching for in life. 
He already prepared a meal for us. Give me a fish and have breakfast. Give me a burden. Give me a heavy labor and take my rest. Take my provision. Take my yoke. Take my reap. He's basically saying the same burden that you carried before. Think about it. I already carried it for you. I already carried it for you. He already had it in store. The very thing they searched for, Jesus already had it prepared. Jesus what they ha- had what they were looking for all night, meaning while they were walking to shore the day before, think about it, because if they read it, started fishing at night, they're walking to the shore from day, because Jerusalem to Galilee is quite a walk. While they were walking to shore the day before, walking back in despair, Jesus was catching fish. And while they were fishing in the night, Jesus was preparing it. Meaning he already did the work, so you don't have to. Ding, 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 gospel. 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 He already did the work, so you don't have to. All you have to do is believe and know that he is with you. And know that he is Christ, your King, your Lord and Savior. What did what did he save them from? He saved them from the guilt and shame and the plan of the enemy to drown them. To drown them. As soon as morning came, as soon as morning came, their hope was going to be solidified. But Christ, just like he did in reply, showed up when they're about to watch their nets. Showed up once again when they had no more choice, because that's when God will often show up, when we have no other choice but to choose him. Listen, stop searching for peace when he has already purchased it. And now I see why he really asked them if they got any fish, because he already did. That means Jesus is ahead of you and the enemy's plan. Jesus already had all of this purposed out. And you might think you're going back in vain. Uh Uh-uh. He's right there with you. And they landed and saw a fire burning coal. Let's go to English class. Fire burning clothes, that's plural, that's multiple, that's a feast. They didn't only, see, they went searching for fish, but look what the Bible says. They saw a fire burning clothes there with fish on it. They got, they getting fry fish. Wagwan. And some bread, fry fish and festival. Fry fish and fried dumpling. Fry fish and bread. Hardo bread for all my Jamaicans out there. They were searching for fish, but got bread and fish. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask for. Just for a little joke, look at verse 13. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. He served the bread before the fish. Now, if anybody ever goes to a restaurant and someone serves you bread the first time, you look at them and you tell them, Jesus is the reason why you're doing this. Because in John 21, he served his disciples bread first and baptized them right there with the pipe water that they give. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do not do that. 
It's a joke. But Jesus, come and have breakfast. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. Jesus served them. Served the very same people who went back forgetting who he was. Jesus served them. We think we have a nerve not to serve other people. And that's why he told them. This is his confirmation of his very words that he said chapters before. When they were arguing who's going to be the greatest, he said, listen, the greatest amongst you will be the one who serves. Verse 12, when all this is said and done, none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? Because there's some situations where we just know it's God. Where we just know it's God. Bible closes out in verse 14. Or the story closes out in verse 14. It actually goes on. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why would John include this? To show that the same God of yesterday is the same God of today and the same God of tomorrow. And he may show up in different ways in different days and different seasons, but he is God. And God alone. As the story continues, I urge you to read it. You know, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? First time, Jesus, Peter said yes, and he said, feed my lambs. And Jesus asks again, said yes. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time. Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Because remember in the beginning how Peter was the one who said, I'm going fishing. Jesus is letting Peter know that, listen, you love me, you're going to have to rock it out. You're the leader, you're going to have to ride it out. You're the big dog, people look up to you, you're gonna eat. you can't slack off now. You're going to have to get back up. You messed up, but get back up. You're going to have to get back up. You're going to have to lead again. You're going to have to feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. You're going to have to realize that my grace is with you no matter what. That I am with you no matter what. And he goes on to say, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and suffer. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And he was foreshadowing the death of Peter being hanged upside down on a cross. And that's basically Jesus saying, listen, if you love me, you have to suffer for my name. But blessed are those who suffer for Christ's name's sake, for the spirit of the Lord rests upon their heart. And Peter turned eventually and he said, saw the disciple and Jesus loved Jesus, John. And he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That's basically Jesus saying, yo, your purpose, our relationship, focus on that. Don't focus on another man's purpose. Don't focus on what I have in store for another man. Focus on what I'm doing in your life. A lot of times our focus could be on another man comparing ourselves. I'm going to rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus of comparison. Focus on your purpose, your relationship. 
And as you do that, he will allow you to affect the lives of others. But here's the true message. I'm closing out right here. A question I asked myself for months. A question I loosely answered when this message was first written. Why did the Nets tour in Luke 5 and not John 21? Why did they catch an abundance of fish in shallow water in John 21 and not Luke 20 and not Luke 5? Because in both they were in the they're in the boat alone in, in shallow water. But in John 21 they weren't. Remember how earlier we talked about post-resurrection? Something someone known as the Holy Spirit, that is with us wherever we go. And that's why they could catch an abundance of fish in shallow water in John 21. And that's why the nets didn't tour. Because in Luke 5, they were bringing the nets up with their strength. But in John 21, they were bringing up the nets with the strength of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In Luke 5, Jesus was on the boat with them. But now in John 21, Jesus is neither on the boat because he's showing that I'm not only with you, but I am within you. And that goes to show his promise in John 14 that soon soon I'll be gone. This advocate, not only be with you, but within you. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus. He's letting them know. He's setting them up for something great. He's setting the scene up for for acts. To let them know that, listen, I'm not with you physically. You ain't gonna see me like how you used to. But I've given you something great. I've given you an advocate, a representative. To reassure you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit is why they could catch an abundance of fish in shallow water in John 21 and not Luke That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, Josh, well, you know, how do I get it within me? Sorry, how do I get him within me? Holy Spirit is not a it, it's a him. It is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I get him within me? Well, Jesus makes it so simple. God makes it so simple. But first, before I even get into that, I want you to realize the power that you have, the Holy Spirit within. The things you could cast out of your life, the things you could declare over your life. The things you could do, not by you, but by the strength that Christ gives you, by the will, the power that Christ gives you, because the spirit that is within. I want you to realize the power that you have with this Holy Spirit and how God sees you because of this Holy Spirit. Sees you as faultless and blameless. That righteousness, you don't long think about it. 
how much sacrifice they'd have to make Peter and his disciples if they were living under the 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 the, the Old Testament law of 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 of, of um having to having works to to express righteousness and that's why the law couldn't save us because no matter what we do we will go back and we will mess up so Jesus had to come and be the perfect fulfillment of that perfect requirement of that and the only requirement now of the law is to love love fulfills that and that's the same love that died on the cross for us to show us that now listen I have done the righteousness within you now you just must die to self and live like me and follow me pick up your cross and follow me pick up your burdens and follow me give me your heavy burdens and exchange it for my light-hearted yoke the righteousness, you are the righteousness of Christ made whole through the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior through the Holy Spirit within the, the Spirit in is what is what seals us. Seals us our access to eternal life. Because the Father no longer sees our sin, but sees his Son. His Son was overcome. How do you let him in? Well, as simple as this. He says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That Jesus is Lord and Savior. That he died for us and by God's fire rose again. If you're ready to do that, this not only gives you eternal access to think about this world and how much suffering is going on, not the pain it carries. Don't you want a greater hope for somewhere better? That hope is in thing above, that hope is in heaven, that hope is in Jesus Christ, that He's gone to prepare a place for us that is not like this place. But we could have an heavenly mindset here on earth to know that we're in this world, but not of it, and the peace that passes all understanding could guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus here while everything is turning upside down. We could have our minds focused and go through a hell stage in this world, knowing that it is well with our soul. And he says, Listen, those who confess. Their unrighteousness. He is just and faithful enough to purify them of it. I am the God you serve. Just repeat after me if you're ready to accept Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And it's not that battles won't happen in your life. It's just that you face battles with new perspective. Instead of searching for a solution, you know that you have the solution. And since you have the solution, which is Jesus, you know that you have victory. That's what it's all about. The peace that you're wanting to catch. He's already given it to you. He's already prepared it for you. No more going fishing. Saying, come to me. Come to me. And I will give you peace. I will give you rest. And you will experience it. It's already been given unto you. It's a gift. Just like every gift of Christmas, though, you got to know what you want to do with it. You got to know when you want to open it and how you want to move forward with it.
Jesus, we come before you right now. Anyone ready to accept Christ as Lord and Savior? If you're hearing this, please reach out to me. If you have any further questions, I, I urge you to reach out to God for new insight. Get in his word. Get in his word and learn. Learn the truth. You can go back to the word. Romans 10 verse 9. Learn the truth. He loves you so much where you are that he don't want to keep you where you are. My mentor once told me that. He loves you so much. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. But I believe your blood has purified me of my sin. Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that you may wash me with hyssop and create in me a new being. I believe you died for my sins, Jesus. And by God's power, rose again. And your Holy Spirit, I ask to take charge within my heart. Go before me and around me. And be the master of my life. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Please reach out if you have any questions, concerns. Um, if you want to, you know, grow in faith more, joshua.haran12345 at gmail.com. But just as we go into this three-week quote-unquote vacation, just rest up, be well, keep praying. Praying is just a conversation, just a conversation between you and God. He says, never cease praying. Always be thankful. Always be joyful in all circumstances, you know. I pray that the peace of the Lord may guard your heart and your mind. Because only he can. And we close out with this. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless, and I'll see you in eh, three weeks. Love y'all. God be with y'all. Take it easy.